Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 20th day of December 2024. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and it was, once again, quite a week. But if there's anything that kind of stood out in your host mind, it had to do with Davos, where the Satanists literally came to play, and the world extermination fascists essentially revealed, without even too much hesitation, that they are open Satanists, and that they truly intend to destroy that which they cannot utterly control. And that means everybody and everything that isn't part of their, uh, well, big club, as George Carlin used to say, and you ain't in it. So on that front, I'll kick things off this evening with a couple of bookends. First, from the end of the week, where the evil Tedros, director general of who? Yeah, is adamant that another pandemic is coming, and no, it's not if, but when. You can almost hear the James Bond villain-style cackling. He and a set of other guests during a segment called Preparing for Disease X, and don't worry, they've been doing that a lot and disease X, of course, is called a placeholder term by the waste-stream media for whatever it is the next viral outbreak or plague that they intend to release just might be. And yes, it will become a major threat on an international scale. And they're already planning the lockdowns and the mandates that they'll be able to unleash as a result. And here's the funny part. They don't even have to actually release the disease, but we all know they're just jonesing too, right? Still, the threat is enough so that all the legal treaties and control mechanisms can be in place for whatever totalitarian regime they unleash via the mere threat alone. And this is funny. To start off that conversation, a speaker named Shyam Bishen Head. Wait a minute. Did I mispronounce that? I look at it again. Maybe it says Sham Bison Head. But hey, what's in a name? Center for Health and Healthcare and member of the Executive Committee of the World Economic Forum also threw in the prospect that, oh, here's a shocker, climate change was an important part of their evil plan. In other words, a contributing factor to the healthcare sector and the spread of their, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, we're so excited about it, coming disease. Again, though, the uh, quote that got the headlines was Tedros saying, anything happening is a matter of when, not if. And he added disease X as a placeholder for the unknown diseases that they already have in the lab, folks. And I just want to clarify that, he said, because there's been a lot of attention. And you may even have called COVID, he said, the first disease X, and it may happen again. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And this is the key line, I think. Of course, he said, there are some people who say this will cause panic. No, unquote. Panic may help, but it's really going to cause tyranny. The other bookend from the World Extinction Fan Club, of course, was Klaus Schwab himself, the quintessential Bond villain and open Nazi. At least he comes from a Nazi family, and he certainly espouses principles that we all recognize as a public-private partnership in the interest of totalitarianism. Well, he came right out and said things that people were kind of surprised that he would actually admit. No doubt about it, too, he certainly improved his standing in the race for the most evil man on the planet. And there's quite a few folks vying for that title, but he's way up there, who says elections will soon be a quaint relic of the past and points to AI and the new gods as the coming king of democracy. The World Economic Forum founder and chairman Klaus Schwab showed his true Nazi colors today at Davos, said Leo Holman, and his daddy, Nazi industrialist Jürgen Schwab, would be proud. 
noting that nations will soon no longer even have to bother holding what they laughably still call elections because voters can easily and no doubt will be replaced by artificial intelligence. AI is more than capable, he said. And he made these bone-shelling comments as the coverage during a WEF interview with Google co-founder Sergey Brin, which was posted to X by Ezra Levant of Rebel News. And uh, here's just an excerpt from it, folks. The technology now is, and uh, digital technologies mainly have an analytical power. Now we go into a predictive power, and we have seen the first examples, and your company very much involved into it. But then the next step could be in, to go into a prescriptive uh, mode, which means um, uh, you you do not even have to have elections anymore because you can already uh, predict what uh, predict, and afterwards you can say why do we need elections? Because we know what the result will be. Und we wonder why we have a trust problem. Yeah, folks, notice how he talks about prescriptive mode? That's the whole point of their existence. They're going to prescribe for you what you can and can't do and whether or not you'll even be allowed to live. So why bother to have elections? We can already predict what they will be, and we can just make that happen, too. And furthermore, we get to count the votes. So, hey, every which way you look at it, you lose. From there, I'll recap some of the other non-Davos events, more or less chronologically. And there was so much bizarre news over the weekend and leading into Monday morning that I debated exactly what was the best way to start. Maybe just a headline review to set the stage because there is so much insanity. Well, maybe we're getting used to that, too. But some of this we just plain have to work up to. So let's start with the eminently predictable and already in progress World War III update, where the big development early in the week was that Qatar has halted its LNG shipments through the Red Sea that would be liquefied natural gas to Europe. And as a result, Europe has now lost, thank you, Joe Biden, thank you, all the other people that are trying to destroy anything that they call fossil fuels. Europe is now short another 13% of its entire natural gas supply. And a quick related item that may have had something to do with Qatar's decision. A missile fired from Yemen struck a U.S.-owned ship in the Gulf of Aden on Monday, according to reports from the U.K. maritime trade operations and private security firms. But at least so far, the condition of the ship and the extent of the damage remains unknown. Ambry and Dryad Global identified the vessel as the Eagle Gibraltar, a Marshall Islands flag bulk carrier owned by Eagle Bulk, a firm based in Stamford, Connecticut, and traded on the NYSE. Also revealed over the weekend, and perhaps this comes as no great surprise either, for those that have followed the career of 55-year-old Chilean-American journalist Gonzalo Lira, who's been a political prisoner in the gulag in Ukraine for quite some time. And while he is accused of being a sympathizer of Russia, 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 because he didn't toe the neocon party line, which is arguably why they put him in the gulag anyway, Gonzalo Lira was arguably executed by means of torture. Some reports are saying he died of double pneumonia as a result of the conditions and what he's been subjected to. Others, like Newsweek, claim that the cause of Lira's death has not been confirmed, at least not by the Ukrainian foreign ministry. All your host can say, as one who enjoyed reading his columns and considered him to be a voice of reason in a place where there was not much of that to go around, he will be missed, and may he rest in peace. Here's another update on an interesting development. The highest-ranking trader in the U.S. military, unless you count the fake commander-in-chief anyway, Lloyd Austin and what's being called AWOL Gate, 
On the Drive Time Friday show on Friday, Dr. Jeff Price Stupa mentioned that he had it from a source that, quite frankly, folks, I didn't consider quite as reliable, given that it was single-sourced, that Lloyd Austin was probably already dead. That, at least, was plausible. But Hal Turner wrote over the weekend that he spoke with a guy from the Russian FSB, which is the equivalent of their FBI or CIA or other three-letter agency that's involved in nefarious affairs. That agency, of course, is the successor to the KGB. And he told Hal Turner that, quote, we killed the American Secretary. Secretary of Defense when we fired cruise missiles at the building he was in. And the reported illness, said the official, is a ruse. Gee, folks, can you imagine this government doing any such thing? And while this is certainly a more credible report, about the only thing that gives your host pause is the fact that even this might be a preferable story to this government in occupation than, uh, for example, suppose Lloyd Austin had died from the Zyklon B injection that he traitorously foisted on so many American soldiers, sailors, and Marines. Somehow I can't help but think that they would much prefer to blame this on Russia, 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 when the cover-up ultimately falls apart one way or another. And this would almost be funny if it wasn't so, uh, well, practically slapstick. From the Daily Mail on Friday morning, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has been requested to come and testify before the House Armed Services Committee about uh, AWOL Gate, his undisclosed hospitalization. And no word on how long it's going to take him to get a body double ready to fill that slot. There was at least one bit of good news over the weekend, although it probably won't do anything to ease geopolitical tensions worldwide. In Taiwan, the new president-elect is William Lai, and it's an open snub by the people of Taiwan to the Communist Chinese Party and Beijing. Says Zero Hedge's summary of the wonderful development. William Lai Cheng-Tave from the governing DPP or Democratic Progressive Party in Taiwan has emerged victorious in Saturday's historic presidential election. Beijing, as you might expect, is not happy. They immediately issued a rebuke after having urged the populace not to vote for him, saying the outcome will, quote, not impede the inevitable trend of China's reunification, unquote, and if necessary, over your dead bodies. Beijing further claimed that the DPP doesn't represent the mainstream public opinion on the island, and they ought to know they're the ones that get to say what it is, or at least they think so, despite the fact that Lai, current VP, has taken just over 40% of all the votes cast in a three-way race, and as even his detractors are being forced to admit, it was a comfortable victory and a resounding message to the communist Chinese mainland. And I can't help but note, I've seen this story developing for several weeks now, they did not put their trust in eminently riggable electronic voting machines. They did, however, insist on paper ballots, and they really opened an honest election with mechanisms in place to prevent the kind of fraud that, let's just say, a lot of Americans are getting more than used to. France 24's coverage, summarized in the Zero Hedge piece, notes that turnout on the self-ruled island was put at more than 70%, with some 19.5 million Taiwanese eligible to vote. I'm sure none of those that think the senile Biden viewer actually got 81 million votes were impressed. Just weeks ago, says Zero Hedge, China warned of further trade sanctions against Taiwan in the event that the ruling party there stubbornly, that's their term, continued to support independence. And if they, quote, refuse to repent, we support the relevant departments taking um, further measures. And on December 27th, Xi Jinping issued a rare ultra-blunt warning against anyone, quote, making Taiwan secede from China by any means. And he said that China's complete reunification is an inevitable trend and that that is, quote, what the people desire. Why, he sounds like he could sit on the Supreme Court in Colorado or maybe be Secretary of State of, say, Maine. 
And I can't help but think that sounds a little bit like exactly what their puppet on the Potomac says, too. Speaking of the puppet regime in the swamp, here's an interesting story that I saw over the weekend. Can't say that I did see it on any of the major waste-stream communist news networks, but then again, I didn't look all that hard. Courtesy of Melinda Davies, though, writing for NewsAddicts.com, Break It Down! Says the headline, far-left protesters have stormed the White House in yet another insurrection, even though you can guess it's not going to be called that by the Ministries of Truth. Thousands, it says, of pro-Palestinian demonstrators rallied in Washington, D.C. on Saturday as weeks of rallies demanding an end to the Gaza conflict continued. And angered by recent U.S.-led attacks on Houthi targets in Yemen, the situation deteriorated into a brawl on Saturday night with protesters. If they weren't far-left folks, they would be called insurrectionists and maybe even domestic violent extremists. But anyway, they pushed on a reinforced barrier and hurled items at police officers and various members of the Secret Service. Isn't it funny? None of them are in the gulags being harassed by the FBI or tortured for their political beliefs. Protesters outside the White Whorehouse on Saturday screamed, hands off Yemen, and waved Palestinian flags as part of a worldwide day of protest, says the peace, while the Gaza conflict approaches its 100th day. Insurrectionists? Mm, well, you know. Anyway, people were heard chanting, break it down, as more and more demonstrators tried to jump the barrier there. Other chants included the usual, no justice, no peace, and, uh, yeah, the ever-popular F.U. But it didn't seem like the D.C. Metro Police decided to fire stun grenades into the crowd this time, and they didn't kill anybody either. On the southern insurrection front, or is it just plain old racketeering, House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan of Ohio has launched an investigation into Nathan Wade, the special prosecutor in one of the bogus Trump persecution cases, this time Georgia. And that guy's been accused of making more than 650 grand off the case, during which time he and Fannie Willis took lavish vacations and cruises together, among other things, sucking at the public teeth. According to a court filing, said Jordan in a letter reported by Just the News on Friday, you've been paid more than $650,000 at the rate of 250 bucks per hour to serve as attorney consultant and later special assistant DA in the unprecedented investigation and prosecution of the former president and other former federal officials, he said. The filing also alleges that while receiving a substantial amount of money from Fulton County, none of which other stories have noted was actually approved by the Fulton County Commissioners as allegedly required by local law, you spent extravagantly on lavish vacations with your boss, unquote, the aforementioned Fanny. And continues the letter, the committee has information that the FCDAO, that would be the Fulton County District Attorney's Office, received about 14.6 million bucks in grant funds from the Department of Just Us between 2020 and 2023. And given, he says, the enormous legal fees you've billed the FCDAO, there are open questions about whether federal funds were used by that FCDAO to finance your persecution, our prosecution. And of course, the fact that both of these folks visited the White House on multiple occasions doesn't alleviate those concerns either. And neither, as Zero Hedge points out, does the fact that Wade billed the taxpayers $2,000 to confer with the Biden regime White House about persecuting his political opponent. And i got to admit it, folks, sometimes I pause and I look back and I think, I can't believe I'm actually doing stories like this that make a banana republic look downright full of integrity by comparison. Item, and this one shouldn't surprise anybody, but at least it's a bit encouraging. 
A new, admittedly left-leaning poll from ABC News reveals that 72% of Americans don't believe that the infamous and double-diapered both-ins senile Joe Biden has the mental sharpness, do you think, to serve effectively as a, uh, well, fill-in-the-blank, but much less as president. And, of course, we know he's not. That's part of the problem. Said ABC News, Trump comes back, though, with advantages in at least two other areas. 47% say he does have the mental sharpness it takes to serve effectively as president compared to only 28% who are drinking the Bud Light and think that that's true of the Biden fewer. And moreover, back to ABC News, 57% say Trump has the physical health necessary to serve again, compared with also 28% for the uh, walking corpse. Although, of course, sometimes that corpse walks into walls. By Tuesday, the major story in the news, even the leftist press, was out of Iowa. You've probably heard that one by now. So let's start off with one that you might not have. But it certainly does speak volumes about the state of decline in one's free America. And ironically, this is one of those stories where the, uh, well, satirical prediction turns out to be far more important and illustrative than the eventual, hey, we knew this was coming all along, story itself. And I actually ran out of time for this one yesterday when it was fresh. But, hey, sometimes the satire takes a little while to develop. So here we go. This comes from Tyler Durden's summary of a story that you probably have heard by now. If you haven't, you certainly need to. Courtesy of Zero Hedge, Americans were stunned on Sunday afternoon when Fox News reported that the Federal Aviation Administration, overseen by the poster child for diversity masquerading as capability, Pete Butt is gay, and the Department of Transportation, sick, rolled out their new diversity unt and inclusion program to hire people with what they call, listen to this quote, severe intellectual disability and psychiatric disability. Hell, why not make them president? And haven't we seen the wicked fruit of that in the FAA already? And if you doubt that, folks, who would be stupid enough to inject pilots with something that violates the regulations of the FAA back when they actually had safety as part of their mission statement? And then once people start dropping like flies, actually changes the EKG requirements for the medicals so they can get away with it. That's not just suicidal. It's genocidal. And as if that wasn't enough, evidently they're just getting started. So back to the story. Just days after yet another near disaster involving a Boeing 737 MAX heightened and highlighted the public's attention to the potentially deadly impact of wokeism, diversity, equity, oot, inclusion policies in the nation's skies, we have them rubbing your noses in it. Targeted disability, said the FAA's website, are those that the FedGov, as a matter of policy, has identified for special emphasis when it comes to recruitment and hiring. And, oh, yeah, screw your safety, health, and welfare. Uh, I added that part because they're not that honest. But again, folks, if you've been paying attention, you knew that already. But it does say these include, quote, hearing, vision, missing extremities, partial paralysis, complete paralysis, epilepsy, severe intellectual disability. Oh, now we're talking psychiatric disability and dwarfism, unquote. And all of this, they claim, is essential to achieving the FAA's mission of what? Ensuring a safe and efficient travel across our nation and beyond? Obviously, that's got nothing to do with it. Ensuring political correctness and wokeism and damn the consequences and, oh, yeah, if we kill a few of you, well, you knew that's what we were already up to anyway, didn't you? Folks, it's hard not to look at this and say, you've got to be kidding me. But no, we know better. They're not kidding, and they do intend to kill you. Now, What's interesting to me, and this is, I think, the best summary of this whole piece, as Zero Hedge puts it, it's when satire becomes reality, because as it turns out, the Babylon Bee predicted exactly this. And here's their warning from the Wayback Machine. 
It's scary, says Tyler Durden. It's funny, say some of us, but it's um, prophetic, says everybody that's paying attention. When they wrote this, it was satire and intended to be extreme, but <laughs> I guess that goes to show you. From a scene involving an imaginary job applicant with the FAA, the first question is, what are your qualifications? Answer, I'm a fully paralyzed blind dwarf with schizophrenia and an 80 IQ. FAA, how does air traffic controller sound? To which all your hosts can add is, hey, don't forget, they're also going to say, you're going to be forced to take whatever injection Big Brother decides to mandate next. But don't worry, because if there turn out to be some particularly nasty side effects, well, you probably won't notice. At least not for long. On into the story that many of you no doubt heard, but I'm going to introduce this one, too, with a bit of a precursor. Also from Zero Hedge, Democrats, instead of hatch their Republican for a day scheme in order to boost the rhino in the race, Nikki Newcomb Haley versus the dreaded Trump in the Iowa caucuses. Yeah, it says Iowa Democrats and independents. In other words, those that are jonesing to destroy what's left of the country have a plan to make a dent in the actually elected President Donald Trump's massive lead over the rest of the so-called GOP field. In the process, they want to help Nuki Haley by becoming Republicans for a day, or at least rhinos for a day. That fits, doesn't it? During the Iowa caucuses. We'll see in just a second how well that worked out. According to Axios, crossover voting is a key, well, low-key tradition in the Iowa event, as the state allows day-of-party registration for voters. And while Democrats aren't holding in-person presidential caucuses this year, because, after all, they've only got one guy running, and the senile diapered at both ends imposter has an obvious problem. Anybody that doesn't walk into walls would walk away with that one. All of which provides the perfect opportunity for unified uniparty support for yet another perpetual war candidate. It kind of fits, doesn't it? They quote a leftist Don McLeese of West Des Moines who told the leftist Axios pushing the story that the crossover scheme gives anti-Trumpers a chance to diminish Trump's inevitability. And the man added, quote, I'll hold my nose and caucus for Haley. He probably thinks that way he won't be able to smell the nuclear fallout. Iowa Republican precinct captain for the rhino herself, Lyle Hansen, acknowledged that, quote, there could be a good crossover vote for Madam Warhawk because Democrats, quote, get to come over and pick the candidate for Biden to oppose. And clearly they don't believe he could beat a real candidate. But still, the story says if they can fool enough crossovers, they might be able to get her to finish a solid second in Iowa ahead of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and so forth and so on. So, yeah, how'd that work out? And for the most interesting look, your host chooses to take a peek at what's being said across the pond by the very left-leaning UK Daily Mail. And when they come out with headlines like this, you know this was one for, as they even admitted, the record books. Donald Trump, it says, praises vanquished rivals after Iowa landslide. In fact, they say in the first paragraph, Donald Trump issued a clarion call to the Republican Party to unite behind him so he can, quote, take the country back from the senile Joe Biden after annihilating his rivals. And that's the word they use, folks, annihilating his rivals in the Iowa caucuses on Monday night. The former president, age 77, they say, heaped praise on his fellow candidates and vowed to, quote, straighten out all of the death and destruction that we're witnessing following a record-breaking 30-point win in the party's first primary contest. And just how lopsided was it? Well, here's another quote from the interesting story. It took just half an hour, they note, for Trump's historic landslide victory to be called by TV networks, and they're no fan of him, as you know, as thousands of his diehard supporters lined up to vote despite brutal sub-zero temperatures and icy roads in the Hawkeye State. 
As a result, he finished with fully 51% of the vote. And that's in a still fairly crowded multi-candidate field, which is certainly indicative. Far ahead of number two, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at 21%. And yes, even further ahead of the rhino who wants to require you to have the mark of the beast before you're even allowed to access the Internet, Newcomb Haley at only 19%, while businessman Vivek Ramaswamy scored 8%. After the blowout, it says, Trump quickly looked forward and said that the big night is going to be in November when we take back our country in the general election. And instead of mocking the rest of the Republican field, no apiece, he applauded them for their campaigning and called them very smart people, very capable people. Interestingly, and perhaps tellingly, after the race later on Monday night, Ramaswamy dropped out of the race and endorsed his former rival, Trump, prompting the almost certain eventual candidate to say, I also want to congratulate Vivek because he did one hell of a job. He came from zero. That's an amazing job. And finally, says the Daily Mail, Trump, who holds a large, huge lead in national polls, included several calls for unity in his speech. Welcome back now to the second segment of the show for this evening, folks. I am your host, Mark Call. I'm going to start this one off this time with a headline review from later on in the week. Because, as I indicated up front, most of the real news this week is coming out of the Center for World Communism meeting this week at Davos, Switzerland. Or you could say the Center for World Fascism, because ultimately what we're talking about here is a form of totalitarianism that goes beyond any isms to just plain Satanism. Well, I guess that's still an ism. But in any case, we'll get there in a second, but this will help to set it up. At least nine were killed, says a piece from Zero Hedge on the World War III front, after Pakistan launched a retaliatory set of airstrikes in Iran. In the early hours Thursday morning, says the peace, Pakistan's Air Force responded to Iran's prior cross-border ballistic missile attack against a Sunni militant group believed to be behind the Kerman City suicide bombings, and they launched fresh retaliatory strikes against alleged Iranian military hideouts. And Pakistan's leadership was said to be seething angry over Iran's, quote, unprovoked violation of its airspace. And at least nine people were killed in the latest rocket and drone attack. And let's not forget, folks, that one or perhaps both of these antagonists are nuclear-armed powers. Item from the Communist Enclave of Denver. And this one, folks, is a little closer than your host would like, although thankfully there's a couple hundred miles of big mountains in the way. Says the Daily Mail headline, A migrant crisis has plunged Denver's main public hospital deep into the red after patients received $130 million bucks worth of free medical treatments, i.e. that they were unable to pay for. Putting Denver's main hospital, 
Denver Health at a, quote, critical stage, in spite of millions of bucks worth of taxpayer subsidies. A total of 8,000 migrants, has said, uh, in other words, illegal invaders, folks, who came to the cesspool city from Central America, have made about 20,000 total visits to the so-called health system for things like dental emergencies, mental health counseling, and childbirth, causing problems for the hospital. And deep into the piece, it notes that about 30,000 invaders have been shipped in so far, many of them bus from Texas, and about 18,000 have decided to stay. Said Denver Health CEO Donna Lynn, what I think is not being said is that Denver Health is at a critical, critical point, and she added, we need to take this up in 2024. Because our costs exceed our revenues, we're turning down patients every day. Well, particularly, folks, those patients that actually may have lived in the area before the invasion. And while I have tremendous compassion for what's going on, continues the quote, it's heartbreaking. It's going to break Denver Health. And guess what? Anybody think that might be part of the plan? It's called Cloward Piven, and you've been seeing it writ large for quite a while now, and it's working exactly as intended. Set up a socialist system, which you know will fail, then bring in all of the things you need to put in place to make it fail, big time, so that the next step, and here comes the Hegelian dialectic part, is problem-reaction-solution. Bring in total communism and a complete command economy to fix it. Well, supposedly fix it. Next item, and if this sounds related, it's probably because it is, from Mike Adams and Natural News, he calls it an emergency whistleblower statement and a Red Dawn alert. And it comes from a whistleblower who goes by the code name Red Cell, who helped run security on the transport buses organized by the state of Texas to transport the illegal invaders to various sanctuary cities. And he says this shocking firsthand account reveals the most hardened violent criminals from countries like Venezuela and much of other parts of South America are being strategically deposited across the United States in preparation for, well, exactly what's been planned, widespread chaos and coming civil war in this next calendar year. 2024. And one of the key statements in here comes from a question that Mike asked, saying, all right, because a lot of Texans actually support the idea that Governor Abbott is sort of, dare I say, dumping these illegals on cities like Chicago or New York or L.A. in order to try to force them to realize the depth of the problem here or the scale of the problem. But what you're saying is that oftentimes the migrants don't even end up in those cities. They're dropped off in Indiana or Illinois or somewhere in between, right? And the answer is yes, anywhere in between. So I'm just going to tell you right now, with transportation, as far as that goes, that's what's happening here. They're stopping at every other state. It's not just certain locations that these people are getting dropped. And when you have the kind of people we're talking about here, that gets into a different realm. And that, folks, I'll add again, is why the term invasion really is appropriate. And understand, he said, for each bus... The people that are doing this are getting paid something like 5000 bucks a head. That's a quarter million dollars per bus that's getting shipped out. Now, that's a stunning number, and as Mike notes, that's more than a first-class airplane ticket. Said Red Cell, it's a billion-dollar project. That's just what it is. It's money, man. Well, it's money, among other things, folks. But think of it this way. A lot of military missiles that are literally being wasted to try and get World War III started cost, say, oh, two million bucks a pop. So do the simple math. How many busloads of terrorists will that ship into place? About eight or so. Each of them with 50 potential terrorists, even if it's a small fraction, that's enough for a couple of cells. Do you think a good cell of foreign invaders might be able to do more than two million bucks worth of damage from a missile? Absolutely. And I guarantee you, those allowing this invasion know that. They're not stupid enough to be that blind. And that's just part of the equation. For the price of one missile, give or take, they can bring in 400 invaders. 
And even those that don't have malice in mind may still cost the entire U.S. economy and system, say, 2000 bucks a month for as long as they're here, or until the nation collapses, whichever comes first. So if you're an invading army, and if you own the Congress, the White House, the whorehouse, that is, and most of the bureaucracy of the once-free United States, that's a pretty blankety-blank and cost-effective means of completely destroying what's left of the country. Here next are two more stories that certainly beg deeper investigation, but at least from the headline standpoint, they also make the case. Biden caught red-handed, said the first one, courtesy of Ms. Shedlock and Mishtalk.com, as well as Zero Hedge. Biden's been caught in a huge rigging of EV carbon credits. Hey, what else is new at taxpayer expense? It's a heads-I-win, tails-you-lose, if you think about it. Not only do the cronies get a big payoff for their bribes, or influence, if you prefer the more PC Kool-Aid drinker term, but it helps implement the totalitarian globalist agenda at the same time. And while the details are fascinating, the bottom line goes something like this. Tesla, he says, is a huge beneficiary of an improper, no legal basis Biden-sponsored subsidy. And the massive scandal is even somewhat reminiscent of the so-called diesel emissions cheating scandal that rocked Germany. And the contrast there, folks, is educational as well, because VW actually was providing cars that did pass all of the specified tests, whether the testers liked the way they did it or not. And furthermore, they were good cars, and they had lots higher gas mileage than things that are being subsidized today. And no, VW wasn't sucking at the public teat to do it either. This time, though, the Biden regime of the Department of Energy, sick, colluded to rig estimated gas mileage from various EVs. And that's precisely different from VW rigging a test. How? Oh, I know. It's all about who gets away with it and who doesn't. For example, a Tesla that gets the equivalent of 65 miles per gallon, and as an engineer, I actually find that questionable, but hey, let's move on, receives tax credits as if instead the vehicle got 430 miles per gallon. And ain't that grand if you're on the receiving end of the newly printed bucks. The Wall Street Journal comments thusly on the EV cheating scandal, saying they believe it's hard to think of a worse environmental scandal. Oh, no, it's not, folks. In recent years, then Volkswagen's 2015 cheating when it comes to diesel emissions. And that right there tells you that they're drinking a whole bunch of Bud Light. But let's let that slide for now because it goes beyond the scope of what we're talking about here. The automaker was pursued by regulators, enforcement agencies, und class action lawyers, ended up with Volkswagen paying an estimated 33 billion bucks in fines and financial settlements. Hey, that's a hell of a lot more than anybody that killed somebody with the Zyklon B, isn't it? And all they did was produce a car that people wanted to buy. And it turns out, guess what? You can't buy those cars anymore. Ain't that convenient. What do you bet there's folks freezing in their EVs all over the country that really wish they could have had a VW diesel instead? But when it comes to electric cars, the Wall Street Journal finally gets around to admitting Big Brother has a cheating scandal of its own. Under an Energy Department rule, car makers can arbitrarily multiply the efficiency of electric cars as opposed to any cars that actually are able to drive, say, in the winter or the summer and be refueled in less than maybe a couple of days during the wintertime, like now. They can multiply that efficiency by 6.67, which means that although a 2022 Tesla Model Y tests at the equivalent of 65 miles per gallon in a lab, about the same as a hybrid, it counts as having an absurdly high compliance value of 430 mpg, which, they note correctly, has absolutely no basis in either reality or even law. And until recently, that subsidy was a Washington secret, and you can guess why. But now it's out. 
Oh, and this is cute. The journal notes that the scandal is buried deep in the Federal Register. Are you sitting down? Page 36,987 of volume 65, to be a bit more precise. Because after environmental groups, and this must be the real kind as opposed to the fake, pointed out how this charade was illegal, the Energy Department proposed eliminating that multiplier for electric cars, recognizing that it, quote, lacks legal support and has, quote, no basis. And let's call it what it is. It's an illegal subsidy. So car makers panicked, and they asked the Biden fuel regime, somebody's pulling on those puppet strings, to delay any return to legal or engineering reality. The reason? Because without the multiplier, the Transportation Department's proposed rules are utterly, completely unattainable, and that's putting it mildly. But remember, we're talking about Big Brother here, and efficiency, law, none of that has any bearing on what they want to accomplish, which is to price you out of being able to travel, or ultimately even live. And they've already got enough other problems with people taking pictures of their dead EVs all over the northern winterscape. So you know what that means, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. More lies and, yeah, more mandates. This next item is not only somehow or other obviously related, but also smacks of tell me something I don't know, but at least we're thankful to finally hear about it. Jim Jordan, chairman of the House Select Committee on the Weaponization of Big Brother, a.k.a. the federal government, on Wednesday announced that it had obtained documents revealing that so-called federal agencies, i.e. the three-letter tyrannies, have flagged financial transactions for financial institutions for people that would be American people, using politically sensitive and now almost verboten words like MAGA or Trump. In a letter to Noah Bischoff, formerly FinCEN director, that's the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, unless, of course, you're talking about Hunter and the cronies of the Biden crime family, in which case, oh, I know nothing. The guy is now the anti-money laundering, yeah, sure, officer at fintech company Plaid Inc. And Jordan describes situations in which Americans buying, for example, Bibles or shopping at sporting goods stores. Hmm. Oh, yeah, you know what they might be looking at there. Just might find their transactions flagged. So at the committee, this kind of pervasive financial surveillance carried out in coordination with and at the request of federal law enforcement, sick, into Americans' private transactions is alarming. Gee, do you think? And it raises serious concerns about the FBI's respect, what a joke, for fundamental civil liberties, unquote. <laughs> Did we not know that before? I guess now what we know is it's even worse than most Americans were ever willing to admit or could have believed possible. Said Jim Hansen, correctly, this is one of the most egregious violations of our Constitution I can ever recall. The federal government is enlisting financial institutions. This is called a public-private partnership, folks. And if you remember fascism in Nazi Germany, you've seen it before. They're enlisting these fascist public-private partners, in other words, to spy on citizens with the sole justification that they are political opponents. Tell me something we don't know. As we head towards Satanic Conference Center in Davos, we take a quick stop along the way at Vatican City, where LifeSite News tells us the following, that Pope Satan himself, a.k.a. Francis, has sent a message of praise to those tyrannical world government Satanists there at the WEF, as well as its founder, Klaus Schwab, writing that the group's annual meeting in Davos is, quote, an important opportunity in the wider attempt to, quote, explore innovative und effective ways to build a better world, unquote. And why not a Reich that will this time really last for a thousand years? 
Quote, it's my hope, then, he continued, that the participants in this year's forum will be mindful of the moral responsibility, yeah, to your master, and hint, hint, it's not the one that wrote the Bible, that each of us has in the fight against poverty. Whoa, whoa, full stop. Okay, we know the guy's a communist, and they want you to eat bugs, and you will own nothing, and you had better like it. And that doesn't constitute poverty? No, not when you're talking about a different master, it doesn't. There is, in fact, he said, a fundamentally moral dimension involved in this process of globalization. I kid you not. Anybody else remember when they at least pretended that moral had something to do with the written word of the creator? The LifeSite News can't help but note, isn't this funny? The so-called leader of Roman Catholicism worldwide didn't bother in his missive to mention certain words. Words, they said, like Christ or even Catholicism. And normally they're big on that one, or the role of the Catholic Church in this new world order, but instead simply highlighted the role of the WEF in the global future. And what do you bet, folks, he didn't mention the mark of the beast either. And here I turn quickly to another piece from Rebel News, written by a fellow, Avi Yemeni, who self-describes as a Jew, and that makes it kind of interesting. Is there anything, he begins, that you cannot say at the World Economic Forum meeting here in Davos, Switzerland? Well, you can promote communism. The WEF, as everyone knows, says, quote, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. You can promote fascism, which is in fact the working definition of Klaus Schwab's belief in the merger of big business and big brother. You can certainly promote drug use. Yuval Nova Harari says video games and drugs are the future of mankind. And yes, you can even promote Islamic terrorism. And he gives some examples. But one thing you can't talk about, and I remember, folks, this is a self-described Jew saying this. One thing you can't talk about here in Davos is Jesus Christ. I know that, he says, because I saw police swarm a small group of people who'd come to hand out free literature about Christianity. They were expelled from the promenade. How disappointing, he said, and how disappointing that the enforcers of this censorship are the Swiss police, who have been so good, at least once were so good, about respecting freedom of speech. But maybe this shouldn't be surprising. With Klaus Schwab and his cast of villains taking over the town for a week, there's literally a whiff of sulfur in the fresh mountain air. I'm Jewish myself, says the author, which is why I believe deeply in freedom of religion. And these days, Christians are being persecuted around the world, from China to the Middle East. It's just a shame to see it at the World Economic Forum, too. But honestly, folks, if you've been paying attention, it isn't even remotely surprising. And, and as he put it, uh, we're here in Davos trying to tell the stories the other media won't tell you about the WEF. This one, though, is getting some coverage, admittedly from the alternative press. The Gateway Pundit has a story up about Bill Gates, as does NewsAddicts.com. Both of them basically say that Bill Gates has now unveiled at the forum the next generation, his term of vaccines, which he boasts can bypass the need for consent. Oh, yeah, that's always gotten in the way by vaccinating the general public without their knowledge and certainly without their consent. He gloats that the new vaccines don't require injections. Isn't that convenient? Guess what, folks? We've seen other stories literally for years now suggesting that they've been working hard to put these things as innocuously as possible into anything that would have once been called food, whether it's vegetables that have been genetically modified to vaccinate you without your knowledge or consent, or certainly stuff that they're injecting into animals, especially pigs and others that um, aren't quite organic by any definition that used to apply. And they also, he said, have longer duration and more coverage, as if shedding spike proteins wasn't already a lot of coverage. 
Another story from the Alternative Press about a forum at the World Center for Satanism where a panelist at the Davos meeting made the claim that animal husbandry, i.e. farming, ranching, and so forth, as well as fishing, are on a par with murder and genocide. He called it ecocide and is actively working to see these practices criminalized. Oh, yeah. No meat for you. Nothing but bugs. And you already knew that, didn't you? Jojo Meta, co-founder and chief executive officer of Stop Ecocide International, made the comments on Tuesday the 16th during a discussion called Where Nature Meets Conflict. And <laughs> One thing you know for sure, they ain't welcoming the God of the Bible into that discussion. The WEF wrote in a description for the chat that, quote, nature and climate crises, sick, impact food and water security, fueling displacement and humanitarian emergencies and exacerbating risks to global peace and stability. So they want to know, just how do we integrate the nature security nexus? Are you getting sick of this load of BS masquerading as pseudoscientific crap? The nexus into decisions and investment mandates, there's that word again, to better respond to the needs of communities that are most vulnerable and most affected. I bet you they don't consider communities that are being invaded by foreign armies to be most vulnerable or most affected. Do you? During the lecture, Metho was asked what this echo side that he keeps talking about is and how that needs to be factored into long-term policymaking. So the sycophants heard this. Right from their website. Ecocide is a word used to describe what is happening to our planet. Notice, folks, it's not your planet, it's theirs. The mass damage and destruction of the natural living world. It literally means killing one's home. And right now, in most of the world, no one is held responsible. Unquote. And isn't it ironic? They aren't going to be held responsible, but they do intend to commit genocide. Said the organization, and its spokes, liar, it's time to change the rules. And asked how he intended to get this done, Meta said, legally speaking, our aim is to have this recognized legally as a serious crime, because one of the issues that pervades all of this discussion is that we have a culturally very ingrained habit of not taking damage to nature as seriously as we take to people and property. Are you crazy? Or just plain stupid? Stupid is stupid does, Mrs. Blue. I guess. This, folks, from the people that intend to outlaw Carbon dioxide and, yeah, breathing by animals and people and other living things. And they're just satanically evil enough, and I know that's an understatement, to claim that they're really concerned about ecocide. But when it comes to people injecting you and changing your DNA with mRNA poisons and putting it in the food and everywhere else, oh, we could care less about that. And you know, because they're speaking at Davos, they aren't about to be held responsible. What a bunch of lying, yep, I'll say it again, satanic hypocrites. And don't lose sight of the fact that everything they're talking about, even when they call it policy, is really a mandate. And it's do it or else. And we know where it leads to. Now, finally, this just goes to show you that every now and then, somebody will show up at Davos and actually be allowed to speak because maybe they can't muzzle them. And uh, we've seen it before. We're seeing it again. This comes from the Tom Woods letter, and he notes that during their annual meeting at Davos, Argentine President Javier Millet was invited to speak, and oh boy, did he ever rise to the occasion. He delivered his remarks in Spanish, so here is an interpreter's translation, which means the text I'm quoting, he said, may be choppy and imperfect, but at least it gives you an idea of what was said. Good afternoon, he began. Thank you very much. I'm here today to tell you that the Western world is endangered, and it's endangered because those who are supposed to defend the values of the West are co 
co-opted by a vision of the world that inexorably leads to socialism and thereby to poverty. Unfortunately, in recent decades, he continued, motivated by some well-meaning individuals willing to help others and motivated by the wish to belong to a privileged caste, the main leaders of the Western world have abandoned the model of freedom for different versions of what we call collectivism. I bet the socialists gathered there didn't like this at all and probably, uh, well, let's just say, uh, they didn't like it at all. Okay, we are here to tell you that collectivist experiments are never the solution to the problems that afflict the citizens of the world. Rather, they are the root cause. Notice he's probably pulling his punches a bit, but making the point. Given the dismal failure of collectivist models and the undeniable advances in the free world, socialists have been forced to change their agenda. They left behind the class struggle based on the economic system, and they've replaced this with other supposed social conflicts which are just as harmful to life as a community and to economic growth. The first of these new battles, he continued, was the ridiculous and unnatural fight between man and woman. But all this radical feminism agenda has led to is greater state intervention to hinder the economic process, giving jobs to bureaucrats who have not contributed anything to society. Example, ministries of women or international organizations devoted to promoting this agenda. Another conflict, he said, introduced by socialists is that of humans against nature, claiming that we human beings damage the planet, which should be protected at all costs. Yeah, especially folks by killing human beings, and he added, going as far as advancing the population control mechanisms or the bloody abortion agenda. And unfortunately, these harmful ideas have taken a strong hold in our society. Neo-Marxists have managed to co-opt the common sense of the Western world, and this they have achieved by appropriating the media, culture, universities, and so on. The case of Argentina, he said, getting pretty close to home, is an empirical demonstration that no matter how rich you may be or how much you have in terms of natural resources or how skilled your population or how many gold bars you may have in the central bank, if you hinder trade, attack private property, well, the only possible fate is poverty. And today, he noticed states don't even need to directly control the means of production to control every aspect of the lives of individuals. They have tools like printing money debt, subsidies, controlling the interest rate, price controls, and regulations to correct so-called market failures. And as a result, they can control the lives and the fates of millions of individuals. And that, folks, is the real crux of the matter. And it's at least a bit encouraging that some politician somewhere was elected in the world and is still able to speak truth to this kind of raw, naked, yep, I'll say it one final time, satanic evil power. And this final message is certainly good and inspiring, don't be intimidated, either by the political caste or by the parasites who live off the state. Don't surrender to a political class that only wants to stay in power, retain their privileges, and, oh yeah, I'll add one final thing. They haven't made a secret of this either. They intend to kill you. And the sooner that truth is accepted, the better. <laughs>